Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. A cliche that pops up every now and again in reviews of movies, plays, books, whatever, is that, oh, the city itself is a character. (laughs) Which is fine, I get it, a sense of place is important to a story, and I'd be lying if I didn't think we've done something like that on this show. But people make places, right? People who, for whatever reason, decide to hunker down somewhere and live and thrive, or maybe just survive. Lady Hubbard's new short story collection, The Last Suspicious Holdout, plays with that cliché. It's made up of interlocking stories all taking place within the same suburb, but she never names the place. And I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter, right? Because places change or don't, just like people which is something Hubbard really wanted to get at. In this interview with NPR's Wanda Summers, she says she's interested in how people transform over time and, as she puts it, find a way to keep believing. Lady Hubbard's brand new collection of short stories takes place in an unnamed Southern majority Black suburb in the 90s and early 2000s. It's designed like a diary of sorts for the community, with interconnecting events, people, and places as the years tick by. The adults fight for justice and financial security while grieving lost loved ones, as children grow up and become aware of the struggles they'll inherit. And as I started to read the book, it started to feel like something of a diary for me, too, since I related to so many of the people in Hubbard's book. A lot of the characters in the story and things like that are based on um, my experiences. Definitely my grandmother kept everything wrapped in plastic until company came to visit. The book, called The Last Suspicious Holdout, covers the breadth of African-American life in this community. Each story is set in a different year. I asked Hubbard why she structured it that way. I am very interested in people that keep going, that survive hardships and um, find a way to keep believing and working towards things getting better. And so I think I wanted to represent and show that in the book over time. And part of their transformation is is emblematic of some of the transformations that the community as a whole is, is going through. You know, that resiliency that you're talking about there comes across again and again and again in this collection. Um, The resiliency of the Black community, much of which is born out of necessity. And it just strikes me that You know, even though this collection begins 30 years ago, so many of the struggles that you touch on, we are still seeing them today in real time. And it sounds like that may have been intentional for you. I think it was. It's pretty interesting how much the um, cultural landscape has changed since I started writing in terms of how people talk about them right now. For me, an underlying theme for them is probably during this period, um, the difficulty of expressing grief. I don't think people were talking very honestly about a lot of issues and there was a lot of obfuscation in terms of um, how certain things that were going on were represented. So for me, it's almost like the, the quiet before a community reclaims its, its voice. You mentioned grief, and that is something that uh, really stuck out to me as I was reading these stories. Um, Perhaps my favorite story in your collection was False Cognates, where you hit on, I think, something that's a really familiar tension in the Black community, right, about education and a father who saw education as a privilege, a lifeline, a way to get that step up, and a brother who saw it as almost selling out. Right. Well, I definitely think that is a recurrent theme of... of (laughs) 
of that era, and it certainly is in these stories. Um, it was ex- very much exacerbated in uh, media representations. There was like this idea that black identity had become bifurcated along class lines. And so the experiences of maybe upwardly mobile middle class blacks was totally divorced from the black majority. Of course, that's an idea that presupposes that that structural racism no longer exists, which is not true. Um, But I I, I think that was a huge tension that uh, a lot of people were grappling with. You know, there is a common theme throughout these stories, this idea of family being both a support system as well as at times for some of the characters an obligation and perhaps even sometimes to the point of resentment of that obligation. I am so curious, um, why do you believe that is an important conversation to have and particularly when it comes to this portrayal of Black families and Black characters? Well, because within the Black community, there's a lot of diversity. It's not a monolith. It's not any more monolithic than any other community. But it's what creates you. It's how you sort of respond and process and and deal with different ideas about what is the correct way to live. And there are a lot of conflicts in that. But it's it, it becomes part of who you are. The other thing that loomed so large to me in this book is the way that you approach gender and relationships. Another story I really loved was uh, Houston and the Blinking What, and I'm thinking about when one of the characters, Stephanie, is thinking openly about the choices that men and women make when it comes to love and the fairy tale in which men, as you write, are judged by their actions and women by the quality of their belief. I'd, I'd just love to know more about how you thought about that. Yeah, I... I... I think that is the experience of of a lot of women in terms of heterosexual relationships and it's related to race because I think that the idea of manhood is very dependent on on how women behave in response to to men. So that story is really just about two women sort of dealing with maybe the ideas that they had about what they wanted from their relationships with men did not serve them to the point where they sort of become unsustainable. One of the characters says that she realized her husband had become a man she couldn't trust to do a simple task, which is is also a reference to um, fairy tales and folklore and stuff like that because uh, the idea of a man being given a task to do to achieve some kind of goal in a lot of those stories, the way the women are represented, their function is to sort of help the man to realize his own identity. And I think a lot of women probably are brought up to think that that is somehow empowering, as opposed to focusing a little bit more uh, specifically on uh, realizing their own identities. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is in some of these stories, I came away with feeling an element of almost hopelessness and futility, this idea that no matter what some of these characters did, no matter how hard they tried, they were unable to escape poverty or imprisonment or death. And I wonder, for you as a writer, was this in any way an exercise of frustration to get those feelings out on paper? Um, probably to a certain extent. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of, um, really painful 
things that Black people have been through. There's also a lot of really beautiful things that I, I hope I express as well. Again, I think that pointing out how hard it is, is for me, ultimately, it's it's a celebration of sort of the resiliency and artistry of people because they keep going and keep trying to envision new futures. That's one of the lessons I take from my own history is uh, we, we wouldn't be here if we weren't capable of, you know, enormous acts of imaginative bravery and hope. That's what hope is. It's just, um, it's a lot of bravery. It's not just suffering. And it is about sustaining despite all of that. Lady Hubbard, author of The Last Suspicious Holdout, thank you so much for talking with us and for sharing your beautiful collection of stories. I enjoyed them so much. Oh, thank you so much. And, and thank you for having me. 